Hey everybody, welcome back to the Primary Care Podcast, your boy Dr. Mark Liss coming at you with another episode. And yes, every week I'm going to try and get the introduction faster and faster. I'm hoping that everyone's having a wonderful and fantastic uh, mid-December evening here. Uh, I'm recording this podcast uh, in my luxurious uh, podcasting studio here, uh, all stretched out, uh, definitely not in a closet or anything like that. So when we, uh, today, we're before we hit up today's uh, uh, new topic, which I, I'm very, uh, I wanted to bring up for a long time, we've talked about it on another episode before, but before we bring that up, we're going to hit up the primarycarepod at gmail.com inbox, and today we have a joke from listener Gabe. Uh, Gabe says, Dr. List. As a faithful listener uh, and advertiser of your podcast here in my little clinic, by the way, uh, I love free advertising. Thank you so much. Uh, I feel like I should make an effort to spice some jokes. Um, so I, I like this one. We're going to use this one. Okay. So today is, uh, what do you get when you cross a joke with a rhetorical question? Primary Care Podcast is written and edited by a family physician for an audience of other physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, residents, and medical students interested in primary care topics. This is not a podcast for patients and should not be used as medical advice. This is also a personal podcast produced on my own time and solely reflecting my personal opinions. Statements of this podcast do not reflect the views or policies of my employer, past, or present, or any other organization with which I may be affiliated. Thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List, here to bring you the latest news, guidelines, and updates from primary care sources around the globe. Keeping it under 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry and I'm not that smart. Well, welcome back, everybody, to the podcast, Pod Boys, Pod Girls, Pod People. It is your boy, Dr. Mark List, here at the Primary Care Podcast, bringing you, yet again, another episode. Um, and here's a topic that uh, is very timely. We talked about it a little bit in previous episode, episode something or other, I don't remember exactly what, but it was talking about how... How the best strategies, what are the best evidence-based strategies for talking to patients about HPV infections? Or sorry, HPV, oh man, that's embarrassing. HPV vaccinations, right? What's What are the best things for parents who are hesitant to get their children vaccinated for HPV? What are the scientific uh, best evidence-based ways that you can improve your chance of getting them to vaccinate their children and prevent their children from getting cervical, cervical cancer and or spreading uh, HPV and causing uh, genital cancers. Okay, so uh, we aren't going to talk about HPV tonight, but we're going to talk about the COVID vaccination in general. This is not a podcast talking about the efficacy rates or the different the versions uh, between Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca. That's not the point of this podcast. The point of this podcast is there have been numerous research studies recently stating that epidemiologists fear that somewhere between 30% and above of patients are hesitant to get the COVID-19 vaccine. And vaccine hesitancy is a growing problem in pediatrics. It's a growing problem in healthcare as social media takes off and people get in these little bubbles and they, they fall down these rabbit holes when they have children. And, uh, you know, people are advertising these conspiracy theories about vaccines under the guise of, you know, this is, you know, patient, this is children's safety. We're saving children. We're preventing vaccine harm in these children. Um, meanwhile, our vaccination numbers go lower in some areas. And obviously that leads to a potential for recurrence of disease. Well, we're not going to talk about pediatric vaccination tonight because the current COVID vaccination um, is not recommended for children under 16 at this point, um, at least the Pfizer one. When we are talking about the COVID-19 
30% of, of people, you know, at least uh, uh, surveyed, um, have severe concerns or are hesitant about getting it themselves. And we are going to talk about today, as a primary care provider, right now, healthcare workers around the country are getting this vaccine. Uh, timely topic because literally tonight I got my first dose. Uh, that's right, Bill Gates. Thank you. Uh, I am. I now have my chip embedded in my left shoulder. Um, I am 10% more robotic. I don't know how that was possible to get any more robotic and still be human, but here I am. Um, but it's being rolled out to healthcare providers, and it's going to be a while. In 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 some states, it's already going out to high risk patients and nursing homes. And as of right now, uh, people are raising their hand saying, "I want to get this." Many people. Um, Again, a majority of the country is going to get this vaccine. You won't have to fight them. You won't have to talk them into it, especially people who are high risk and all ages, but especially older populations. But even then, there are people in these high risk categories, in these at risk populations that either cannot be vaccinated, which is rare, but does happen, or are hesitant themselves. And if we're going to get through this pandemic with any without a significant amount of deaths, in the millions of deaths, we need this vaccine to not only be effective, which it looks like it is, but also to have enough patients take the vaccine that that effectiveness level, the combination of the uh, effectiveness times the you know percent of people who are going to get the vaccine to get us to an actual herd immunity, not the natural herd immunity, which is not going to happen based on how short-term a lot of this immunity is and and just the rates of death in the at-risk population will sacrifice millions of lives for this. So backing up to the topic, what can you as a primary care doctor do? Number one is th the most important thing in every single study that talks about vaccine hesitancy, it's the relationship between you and your patient, right? You do not need to be an allergist, an immunologist, you do not need to be a pediatric infectious disease expert. You do not need to have that title. You need to have that patient's trust. And they need to know that the same person who's watching for them, uh, making sure that they're not going to have a heart attack, that they're there to talk about their depression and their anxiety, the same person that is helping them navigate their and their family's healthcare, you know, life, that they are also there to be able to be trusted upon about this vaccination. So that's the number one thing. Number two is it's important to validate the concerns, right? It's important to validate the concerns, not to, not to validate the myths, not to validate the content, not to validate the conspiracy theory, but to acknowledge that it is okay to be nervous about getting this vaccine. It's okay to be nervous about, to be unsure about something that in the scope of medicine is very rushed. It's, it's okay to be skeptical, but at the same time, it's important that we continue to not just brush it aside because, you know, and focus on the positives about, you know, preventing disease, preventing death in our communities, saving the at-risk people, uh, and, and moving forward, right? And I think it's important to 
look at what the evidence says about this. Okay. So we're going to look first about the individual. We're, we're going to hit up, obviously we're primary care doctors, the, the communication that you should have with your patient. I'm going to give some anecdotes about my already experience. Yeah. My, uh, my, our, my already experiences with patients having these discussions, and then we can, uh, we'll, we'll branch onto what we should be advocating for in our community. Okay. So first thing is I want to introduce you if you have not heard of this method, but it's called the case method. And it's the method that I really think is very, very helpful when discussing vaccine concerns. Number one is C is corroborating, right? So C-A-S-E, case, right? C is corroborating, acknowledging that this patient concern that, that yes, I understand that you are nervous about the COVID vaccine. I get it. I understand. And I'm going to use a patient, John and Jane Doe. Okay. So Jane, I, I understand that this is, that, that people are nervous about this vaccine, that they're unsure because of the rush timeline. Right. And, and in a respectful tone, right. You can't, you know, telling somebody that they're obese and that they're so fat, if they don't lose weight, they're going to die. Right. Uh, you are such an idiot for smoking. How could you dare smoke? Right. We would never talk that way with this. So we can't talk to people who are vaccine hesitant saying you're going to get your child, you're going to kill your child by not vaccinating them. Right. If you don't get this COVID-19 vaccine, you're going to endanger your entire family, our entire community because you're selfish. You can't talk. You, you can't come at people in a combative tone. It's never going to work. Right. If they come in and they say, I'm nervous because Bill Gates is going to put a microchip in my arm and control my brain. You have to say, I understand the fear of the unknown. I understand that there's a lot of talk about this on the Internet. I understand that. Right. That's the first step. Use that trust that you have built with that patient. Use that relationship to your value to, to the and to the patient's benefit. Now, the letter A in case, the second step is describe their own expertise about vaccines. And again, you don't need to be an expert. You can say we are getting we are getting new information every week about this vaccination. We are we are getting new data that's showing that it's safe and showing that it is effective. We are tracking every single patient who is getting this vaccine for side effects. These companies are watching very closely. They're continuing to see, and all these healthcare organizations are continuing to, to check on side effects for their employees that they're vaccinating. And I tell people, you know, I know that you read a lot as well and you're doing your own research. Ha <laughs> ha, hashtag research, right? In, in giant air quotes, right? Ha. <laughs> research, AKA on my Facebook feed, uh, on a naturopathic blog, I Googled, right. That that's the research and the expertise that they have. But, you know, when we study vaccines, we know that, you know, vaccines are safe and yes, rare allergic reactions happen, rare side effects happen. Yes. Guillain-Barre can happen. Yes. Bell's palsy can happen, but these are short lived they are incredibly unlikely and you are far more likely to get sick and a loved one uh, in your household uh, to get sick and die or have terrible uh, long-lasting impacts of COVID-19 than you are to get harmed by any vaccine, let alone this vaccine, right? And so, again, your own expertise in the vaccine. So that's the A. S is carefully listening to what patients are saying to focus on the S scientific evidence of their specific concerns, okay? 
this is where you just can't have a speech prepared. You can't have a canned text. You can't have a canned speech because you have to hear what they are saying. What are they concerned about? And address that concern from a scientific and emotional standpoint. Okay, that's the S. The A is the, the uh, um, <laughs> you know what's funny is that the A actually doesn't stand for anything. Uh, about me. Oh, about me. I'm, you know, this is my research that I've done about me, the the physician. This is what I know. This is how, this is what I've studied. This is what I've learned about. Okay, so it's A is the about me. The S is the science, right? Uh, example, patient comes in and says, you know, I'm not getting any of your vaccines. I'm not getting the COVID-19 vaccine. I'm not, I'd be crazy to put those toxins and those chemicals in my body. Okay. And then we have a discussion about, you know, okay, I understand it's scary. There's, you know, we can find out every single chemical that's in this and we can have a discussion about every one if you'd like to, but let's look at what's going on in the world around you, right? The things, the foods that you are eating, packaged foods have more chemicals in them than you could ever imagine, right? Perfumes, body sprays, deodorants, things like this have many man-made chemicals that we use on an everyday basis. This patient herself smoked. And again, this is not the same. Most people who are, I, I wouldn't say most, but a very lot of, uh, a large percent of people who are anti-vax are also the crunchy granola, all natural, all whatever, avoid everything. But the discussion of, you know, looking at very, very specific things, right? I, I, people bring up formaldehyde and vaccines or aluminum vaccines. And you can talk about how formaldehyde, the formaldehyde in a vaccine in certain formulations is oftentimes less than you'd ingest in a pair, right? Uh, in the, uh, the aluminum content in the vaccination, which is used in some vaccinations as an adjuvant vac uh, to the vaccine, is one of the most common minerals found in soil. If you go outside in a windy day in your state, you're going to get more aluminum breathed into your lungs than you would ever get uh, in the amount of a vaccine vial for the, your entire life of all the vaccines you could get, right? So, I mean, it, you can talk about the specific concerns, the specific com you know components that they, that they bring up. Uh, I oftentimes hear this fetal bovine serum, which anybody who's worked with cell cultures knows that that's the medium that you grow the cell cultures and then you, you know, you basically centrifuge that and you, you get all that off, but there could be traces of that. And so that's the whole like cow DNA and, and fetal cow fetus DNA. And that's just the traces of fetal bovine serum. So you can address the scientific part about it. Um, and, and it's their specific concerns. Okay. It's their specific concerns. So don't bring up new concerns, right? <laughs> don't bring up new conspiracy theories about, you know, the, the Bill Gates injecting uh, nanobots into my arm, right? Uh, that this COVID-19 vaccine, according to the newest Facebook uh, conspiracy theory, causes long-term fertility issues, right? Which we'll get into. Um, I had a patient, another patient, uh, uh, late 50s, postmenopausal, who was concerned for her and her family, her, who's postmenopausal, that this vaccine, this mRNA-based vaccine, is going to get into her cells and change her DNA right? It's important to address that. It does not do that, it, you know, that we're storing this, you know, in a negative seven degree uh, Celsius uh, freezer, because if we leave it out, it, it that mRNA is gone, right? It's so unstable. 
how in the world in your body is it going to have the time to not only get in there, get the reaction that it's supposed to get, but then also work its way through your cell all the way into your nucleus, change the whole process, read, read, you know, transcribe all your DNA, change your genes, right? It's just not scientifically even plausible, right? Uh, number two, this whole conspiracy now about, um, this whole conspiracy now about that it's going to cause fertility issues. Uh, that's the newest conspiracy going on on Facebook. I, I, I asked my patient, you know, I, I find that to be an interesting, I, I find that to be interesting that people are saying or worried about fertility issues for long-term fertility issues because this vaccine's been literally in development for six months, nine months, right? It hasn't been in development any longer than that. How could we even possibly have any any hint of an idea that it has anything to do with with fertility issues. And most of the time when you talk with people who are vaccine hesitant, they're hesitant. And right, the quote unquote evidence to support them is nothing. It's a, you know, conspiracy theory nut, a, you know, naturopath who is anti-vax, who just make things up and have absolutely no supporting evidence to support them or the faintest of faintest of faintest little hints of something that may or may not even have been related to the topic at all, and they throw that in there. And so when your patients bring this up, you'll often find that they end up dropping their, their there is no rebuttal. There is no, but what about this? Because there is nothing to support that. Uh, and E is carefully explain the risks and benefits. And in COVID-19, the risks and benefits are big, right? We can get back to normal. We can protect the people in our community. We can, you know, feel like we are caring for our neighbors. We are loving our neighbors. We are protecting our neighbors. We are doing what we are supposed to do as a citizen in the community and doing our job. And so, again, CASE, C is corroborate, which is acknowledge, you know, say, I understand, I understand. A is the about me, which is a terrible acronym, uh, but A is, you know, my expertise and, and what I've read and what I've looked at and what I've studied. S is the science behind your specific concerns down and, and, and talking about not on the myths, but on the facts. And E is the explain the benefits, right? And don't get caught up on the myths. Don't get caught up because oftentimes people will have these things that they perseverate on, they focus on in terms of the myths. And instead, if they, you know, if the basic science and basic facts won't sway them, again, talk about the benefits outweighing the risks dramatically, the benefits and the improvement in our society and the economic benefits of getting back to normal and the societal benefits of getting back to normal and basically all of that. Now, from a community standpoint, we are, uh, we are way over time already, but there's a really good really good uh, here in 2015, Strategies for Addressing Vaccine Hesitancy, a Systematic Review, okay? And this was post, this was in the journal Vaccine, really, really good uh, article. And I'm not going to get into all the weeds on here, but I'll read a couple of paragraphs here. What interventions at a community level have been most successful, okay? And the largest increase in vaccine uptake were 
directly targeted at unvaccinated or or undervaccinated populations, right? So instead of just spamming things out to the entire population, going to those people, whether that's low socioeconomic people, whether it's the uh, religious uh, people, whether it's uh, certain areas of your city or state, certain schools that have lower vaccination rates and targeting those parents, uh, targeting certain religious communities, targeting certain ethnic communities has has very, very important value. Um, and in COVID-19, some early research says that Latino population and black population have higher vaccine hesitancy, uh, more of a distrust of the medical system and who could blame them in many cases. Um, but targeting your outreach to that population, very, very, very important. Um, number two, aim the, the education and the, the uh, vaccine interventions are aimed to increase vaccination knowledge and awareness. Uh, in this case, probably not such a big deal uh, because I think the entire world uh, is pretty aware that this vaccine is coming. Number three, and probably one of the more important things is improved convenience and access to vaccination. So if you are in a big city or if you're in a rural community, you have to find a way to get the vaccine to those underserved, underutilized, uh, you know, areas of our, of our communities. Uh, because the easier it is to give it to them, right, the better it is. Now, here we're talking about a max a mass vaccination event, like in a convention center, you kind of walk through socially distance in line uh, and get your vaccine and just make it as easy as possible without a doctor's order, without a, a clinic appointment, without having to come into the clinic, just, you know, basically drive up, stick your arm out the window, boom, that's one option, right? And then kind of park over there and wait 15 minutes so you don't have a reaction. We'll have a nurse kind of walk by, honk if you have, an, if you have a question or a problem, right? Um, that could be one option. The convention center is an option. An arena, as an option, um, bringing them through clinics and having specific things, that's an option. Uh, targeted specific population, again, uh, whether that be, you know, uh, religious or ethnic or, uh, you know, different areas in your community. Um, interestingly, mandating vaccines uh, obviously raise the, uh, the rates of vaccination high um, in your community. If you can um, argue for local school districts to not allow children back in until they're vaccinated or colleges not allow kids to be vaccinated or or employers to not allow employees back in until they're vaccinated, that would absolutely raise vaccination rates. So again, be an advocate about mandated vaccinations in your community. Um, and then here's one that I actually started on tonight after reading some of these, uh, some of these articles in, in detail. Um, number six on this list, engage local religious and other influential leaders to promote vaccination. Why trust? Trust. When there is fear and doubt and uncertainty, a pastor, a rabbi, a, um, a priest, somebody in the community who has the respect of that community, who has the trust of that community, who is willing to come forward and say, I want to get this vaccination because I care for you. We all need to get this vaccine because we need to care for our community in the way that God tells us to care for our community. And that's a universal religious issue, right? Um, and right now in America, some of the biggest vaccine hesitancy groups are people of faith, of people who are conservative, who listen to conservative uh, radio and, and who follow conservative social circles and social media circles and who get siloed into these things and who don't get uh, opposing viewpoints and who may lean anti-science. But religious leaders 
have significant sway over these communities. And political leaders have significant sway. So I typed up an email and I sent it to one of our district, the, the president of our district, uh, religious district. Um, that's, the, you know, for Catholic comparison, that's like a bishop, um, I think. I, I don't know how the Catholic Church works. But, uh, you know, and this is something where, you know, your local leaders, mayors, governors, uh, <laughs> my governor is probably not going to be one of those people. But uh, the importance of, you know, your, your high profile people who people in your community trust, and maybe they don't trust your politicians, but religious leaders especially, they trust, get them to buy in, send them an email now telling them to speak up telling them now that we are, that they are needed because right now is the time as these hesitancy numbers go up because people get more and more scared and they read more and more conspiracy theories and these these social media circles you know keep people in their bubbles we need allies in these circles to help with vaccination rates okay and then again we have to increase knowledge and we have to increase awareness and promote positive attitudes regarding this. Um, my organization is going to do a ton of like, uh, I'm getting, you know, uh, watching, uh, you know, videos and, and interviews with, with healthcare workers who are getting the vaccination, talking about why they think it's safe, why they're getting it, why they think it's important for the community. Again, as a, as a matter of trust. Okay. What doesn't work? Quality improvement in clinics, right? Going clinic by clinic and saying, your patients only have X update. Right. So our quality metrics, right, for all of our vaccinations uh, actually have very little to no impact. Right. So, oh, your clinic only has 30 percent HPV vaccination rates. You need to get to 50 to be considered a good clinic. Yeah. Doesn't move the needle at all. Uh, imagine that. Imagine that, that it actually doesn't do anything. And the science actually backs that up. Passive interventions, posters, websites, not helpful. Extending clinic hours, not helpful. Right. Uh, improving uh, incentive based interventions right? Not helpful, right? Uh, so I think when we talk about uh, recall, reminder recalls, sending out text messages and emails, people just know that's spam and they just delete it, right? Um, people are smart. Uh, social media pushes actually have not have, have variable success rates. In some cases, it's helpful, but in many cases, those, those social media campaigns get, you know, uh, ridden on coattails by anti-vax people whose entire job and whose entire life is basically sitting on social media. And every time the word vaccine pops up in their social media search of the World Wide Web, they then go and, you know, brigade these posts about how the COVID-19 shot's going to kill you and make you, you know, sterile and get a microchip and, you know, change your brain forever. So you got to be careful about what you post on social media and how and how, you know, people co-opt your own posts and your own uh, social media uh, um, work and, and turn it against you. Um, so, again, this is so, 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 so important. Such an important, huge topic that we have to combat now. And if we are going to end this pandemic, this is the way we are going to end it. This is the way we're going to end it. Um, this is the way out. There is no other way aside from losing millions and millions of people, okay? Um, I'm going to pause here for just a second before I wrap up. I want to I read you this email I sent um, to get your creative juices flowing when you think about 
reaching out to the people in your community. Again, this was to a religious leader that I sent to. Pastor, I hope this Advent season finds you well as we prepare for the joyous coming of our Savior. Similarly, I'm writing this to you for a different kind of hope. The hope of the COVID-19 vaccine and the end of the pandemic in our communities. At this point, you might be asking yourself why I'm sending this email to you on this topic. Well, there's only one thing I fear about this vaccine in our state, and that is the lack of acceptance and vaccine hesitancy from our community members. There have been numerous estimates that as people listen to talk radio and follow a narrowing and narrowing circle of influence on social media, the number of people in this country either hesitant to receive the vaccine or who will outright refuse the vaccine as some sort of conspiracy is very large and seemingly growing as time goes on. I would like your help as, insert title, to consider encouraging your, insert people, to consider encouraging their congregations to view this vaccine as a gift from God produced by men and women. He has given the gift of scientific curiosity and education. Why should this be the job of the church? Well, multiple studies in the history of medicine have shown that when public health departments involve and participate with local religious leaders in the fight to raise vaccination rates, the community responds positively. Congregational members trust their pastors and usually listen to them. I think that with our, insert state, culture, we're the perfect example of how pastors can get us to herd immunity by encouraging vaccinations and ending this pandemic in our state. As the vaccine rolls out nationwide during this holiday season, I think about the ideals of Advent. Hope for the next year returning us to normal with the rollout of the vaccine. Peace. Working together as a church body for common purpose to help unify and heal us during this divisive period of American history. Love. Loving our neighbor and doing our duty to get vaccinated to help protect our at-risk members and neighbors from COVID-19 and stop this spread. And finally, joy. Knowing that God will lead us out of this pandemic. I ask that you consider how your position and leadership in our district can help contribute to ending this pandemic in our community. Thank you, and respectfully, Mark List. So again, not that you need to, to you know, write a six-paragraph, you know, uh, letter, but we have to get involved now. This is something that matters. This is something that we can affect the people who are hesitant, the people who are going to refuse this vaccine are coming into our clinics between now and seven months from now. You are going to see them for physicals. You are going to see them for all kinds of medication rechecks, uh, for, for all the normal stuff that we normally see people for. You're going to see them in your clinics. You're going to see them in the ER. You're going to see them in urgent care. You're going to see them in the hospital. Now is the time to get involved. Now is the time to address vaccine hesitancy for COVID-19. And that's it. Uh, thank you for listening today. If you have any questions or concerns, send them to me at primarycarepod at gmail.com. Uh, always appreciate the feedback and jokes. Thanks again, Gabe, for the, today's, uh, today's joke. Um, and again, um, you don't need to stay up to date. You don't need to stay up all night to stay up to date. Uh, thanks and God bless. Have a great week.